0: all right, brother.
1: (laughs) I'll tell you what, I I can't thank you enough for you taking your time and to start the year off on the Going Solo podcast. I want to introduce you a little bit here to the crowd, which I'm speaking with Emmy award-winning film television host, a global media strategist, and a friend of mine for over 20 years, Yeah, uh, Tony Potts. Thank you so much for
0: being here. It is my honor to be here. I mean, you know I love you, and you're phenomenal, and we've known each other for so long. So, no, it's absolutely uh, my pleasure to be here.
1: I, I, wanted to, I wanted to share a story with you, and it was the first time that I met. This was the first interaction. This, this is how much you, you impacted me. Oh, no. It was my first interaction with you, and we were doing, I think they called them junkets, where we were at, like a. I think it was the Pasadena Four Seasons Hotel. And I'm I'm the grunt in the back, taking my notes with the field producers. And you're you're you know you're interviewing. I think I remember Dennis Quaid was there, and you 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 were interviewing all these all these celebrities. But what I remember about this moment, and I've been so excited to share this with you, is here you are. Like you guys have to be zoned in constantly when this is. I mean, you the, the attention, boom, boom, boom. It's happening. Celebrities in and out. And I'm yep. back here, you know, scribing. And then I have the goal, like I'm the lowest person on the totem pole. I have the goal to come up to you and ask you a question during probably your busiest time. And I remember <laughs> this. I remember like, uh, Tony, um, and I, I can't even remember what the question I asked, but I remember you, you were so zoned in, but I remember you looked up at me and it was not a look of what the hell dude? Like punk, I'm I'm in the middle of like my job. What you're take your notes, get the coffee, get the hell out. You know, it wasn't that it was. And and I've remembered, I've remembered this for 20 years. It was, you were so intent like in listening to my Mm. question. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember what the hell. And I was like, Whoa, like you, (laughs) But I, and, and, and of course, getting to know you more and working with you more, I, I I've seen what you've done, but I've always admired Ah. your focus in that moment. And you answered my question and then you were back in the notes. And then, I don't know, maybe Britney Spears. I can't remember who it was, (laughs) but that's what I remember about you. And so my question on top of that is, have you always had that? Like, have you, are you just like, in the moment kind of guy, or how do you, how do you mm. manage your day-to-day task in such a busy, busy industry?
0: I would say yes and no. In one sense, since you know me, my brain goes a thousand miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So to kind of like put the brakes on that, that puppy is a little, a little hard, <laughs> but it's more about, I'm insatiably curious about mm. humans and everything actually plants, life dogs, you name it. And so that part of my brain is always going. So if you have, you're coming up to me and I may have known you a little bit at that time. Yeah. Um, I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Like, what does he want? Does he have a question? What have you? And I was, you know, in your spot a long time ago, right? Before that. And, and I was probably a little pushy, probably ask a lot of questions <laughs> to a certain extent. I mean, it's, yeah. it's weird because in one sense, I'm actually kind of a shy dude, believe it or not.
1: Are you um, serious?
0: You, yeah. Really? Yeah. It's a, it's a funny thing, you know? Um, it's a funny thing because uh, look at this hair. See, this is part of life. Look
1: amazing hair. It is amazing no, it's, hair. All,
0: it's all over the place. And, you know, I should just get it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about getting it all shaved off and just see what happens. Good, I'm, you're not, gonna sure. Shave I'm off. not sure if the wife would, would, would <laughs> handle that. But back to your point. Um, it's important because I've always had the open door policy that anybody at any time can come into my office or wherever I am. Um, I always used to put a big bowl of candy. So everybody could see I remember. when they walked by. I, 100%. They would, yeah, they would, it would pull people in. And, and oftentimes you get so, as you were mentioning, kind of myopic in something, right? That you don't see anything. I remember we were, I was in uh, at the Cannes Film Festival and we were shooting and we had to feed back to access and it was getting late and it was like an eight hour time difference or whatever it was. And I remember that Brad Pitt was late. And it was like, holy crap! And you know, he's late and late. He's coming to the interview by boat. I'm like, come on already! Like, just yeah. get a helicopter, do something. But it's yeah. Venice, right? No, it was, it was actually Venice. I'm sorry, it was the Venice Film Festival. And so he was very late, and then um, so that pushed us back. And then I had to shoot these, you know, standups, right? And just kind of you got to memorize them when you're out in the field. And there was one that was just kind of a weird one. And I'm like, this, this doesn't sound right. We had a crew with us. And one of the production assistants that was there, because I kind of, I keep it open, right? And I said, look, anybody, like, help me. Usually I'm pretty good at coming up with something or a line or whatever. And I just couldn't figure this out. And we had, like, five minutes to get it done and then run like a madman, uh, one of the producers, to the satellite truck that tells you how long ago it was, you know, uh, uh, to not burn a $10,000 15-minute window (laughs) to send tape back. No pressure. And and the production, the PA said, you know what, why don't you use this? And I was like, oh, brilliant. So that's kind of how I've always been because, as you can see, even now in this day and age with social media and TikTok and what have you, there are some really freaking creative people out there. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, doesn't, you know, your, your professional status doesn't matter. There are some really creative people. And I just, I'm curious, man. So, like, hit me with what, what you have and what have you. So that's, I, yeah, it's interesting you say that. But, you know, I, I've, I've done that with a number of people back, especially at Access, you know, uh, and what have you, I'd meet, you know, there were always the, you know, the pages who wore the blue jackets at NBC, Yeah, yeah. you know, and ours, we ended up shooting next to, we shot in Johnny Carson's old stage where Jay Leno left. The original stage, that's right. Right. But, you know, Leno moved next door. So we shared a hallway and my dressing room was upstairs and I would pass by this young lady and she'd be at the back door inside, but the back door to the stage and she'd be there with a clipboard to kind of sign people up. But she was a page. And, uh, you know, she was really nice. And I struck up a conversation with her. She struck up a conversation with me. And after a couple of months of back and forth, it's like May or June. And I'm like, so I said, what do you want to do with your life? She's like, <laughs> she was, I want to produce. I want to be on Access Hollywood. I don't want to be in front of the camera. God, know, but I want, you know. And I said, seriously. And I said, all right, well, let me think about it. And then she came up to me like every day afterwards and said, hey, you know, I'm serious. And so I went to John Butler, who was our guy that kind of like oversaw that at the time. John and Butler. said, got a great. You know, this great gal, she's very aggressive, seems really nice. She's been Tonight tonight's show, you know, and we had this summer relief, right? People would go on vacation, yep. so you'd need people to come in. And, uh, and so she did, and she's still there to this day, Rebecca. She's still there to this day. And, you know, it was, it was just that stuff brings me so much joy, almost more so than like, you know, having a chat with Jennifer Aniston or, or you know, Bruce Willis or, you know, Justin Bieber in Cincinnati, you know, uh, <laughs> at some point. Those kind of things matter.
1: Well, and I, I just personally can attest because I was, I was the, the small beans guy and I've <laughs> always, I always admired that about you. I mean, you were oh, obviously super successful, but I remember those are the things I remember. I don't even remember. Like I, I, I just remember, okay. When I, when I start building myself up, I want to make sure I do these things. I'm learning well, that's just bits and pieces.
0: That's a good point because that's the joy. Um, of it because you hope that, here's the crazy thing that people don't realize, is that when you're struggling to make it, like for me, I started Market 187 doing sports for a little CBS station right and before I graduated. Was, was, I was that after out. Humboldt State University? Yeah, you went to Humboldt Humboldt State, actually, right? while, during my senior year, right before I graduated, like a couple of months, I, I was actually, I got a full-time job, uh, okay. making $880 a month, and I was working about 80 hours a week, so I don't know what kind of loss they broke money
1: cash yeah, money right was, off the bag
0: it was nothing <laughs> luckily my I, I got this i got a little two-bedroom apartment in this old uh, victorian house that was a national historical uh house for 175 dollars a month the rent but it had 12 <laughs> foot ceilings and so it got cold and i couldn't afford the heat half the time so it yeah. was, I, it, anyway it's a long story I but um it. i love but it yeah it's you know way back in the day you know, I shot and did everything right. I shot, I edited, I produced, I wrote, I, you know, I produced the rundown. I wrote everything, you know, threw on my makeup, which back then I looked like a combination between like a redwood, <laughs> redwood tree and some sort of clown. It was pretty brutal because, you know, because you're running down to, you know, you're putting it on and all this stuff. And what, so what people don't oh, realize God. though, is like during those days, you know, I wish somebody would have given me something for free, at least like, just kind of help mm. me out. Like, you know, I only had like, I didn't even have a suit. I just had sport jackets. I had two sport jackets and they were from almost from Sears and one was from Pennies, I think, or some other place. I have no idea. But, you know, and then when you start making it, you know, I'm in New York. I'm hosting, you know, Good Day New York with a bunch of amazing, really talented human beings.
1: Which was you your goal. You know, I started stuff. I, making good and money. I and
0: it and I
1: didn't mean to interrupt, that? but your goal was to be in New York by 30, right? Did I? Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. That was, yeah. Way back in Eureka, California, that was my goal. I'm like, look, 30 years old. I want to be there doing, and however I, the hell I get there, but you know I get there, and then I get to Access and some other things that happen. I got a you know uh, a deal from Disney to do my own late night talk show, and people are just sending me free stuff. I mean, I remember one at one point at Access, they sent. I had like, oh, I delivered nine. I, think I had nine iPhones when they first came out. <laughs> so I would just put everything in a closet we're friends, you know, and a Christmas and just go, pew, pew, you know, I had all the, I had this uh, little flip uh, cameras that were the first HD cameras that yeah. were this big. Yeah. So it's crazy. Like the more, the, the less you need this stuff, the more you get it. And then when you really need it and you're making $808 a month, you don't get shit. Like I was eating. You know, I remember I used so- to stay, when I was an intern at that station where I ended up getting the job, the CBS station, KVIQ, channel six, Eureka, California. Um, I would stay after, uh, the 1130 broadcast and I would practice editing. I'd watch how, uh, ESPN edited their, you know, highlights. And I would do that. And I would, I'd go over across the street to the mobile gas station and the mini mart. And I would get, uh, uh a couple of beers and some host hostess, uh, cupcakes, ding dongs and ho-hos <laughs> sit there till three in the morning, drinking up <laughs> and eating. Oh my God. But that's how, you, you know, that's how you learn. So I know the sweat that I went through and, and all the things in the, you know, all the failures I had and, and how hard it was. And so anybody else who wants to even try to go down that road, I'm going to be more than happy if I can, you know, to help. Can you talk about, you just brought up failures and I know
1: you have <laughs> if people that, that are listening. You need to follow Tony on Instagram, official Tony Potts. And I love, I love the reels that you're putting out there. They're so vulnerable, but you're, you're sharing all these experiences can you talk a little bit about Tony failure as a whole? I know this is a topic of one of your reels that you've put, but it's so true, right? Because there is so much you've talked about. I've heard your stories about time after time being rejected all across the board. How how do you take failure and and face it so it doesn't stop you and so it doesn't kill someone's self-esteem, so it doesn't take that light of hope you've consistently just kept going. How do you do that?
0: That's a good question. You know, I I think it comes from a bit from my parents early on Mm -hmm. uh, just because they were no BS. And if something bad happened, we talked about it, got it out of the way and moved on. Nobody swept anything under the rug. Nobody didn't remain under the skin and, you know, boiling for whatever. And having that just ingrained in me from an early age, like literally I remember when I was four years old, I wanted a pair of shoes and, but I wanted some other things. And my parents taught me, I didn't know what it was called at the time, but they taught me opportunity cost. If I mm-hmm. wanted these shoes, they said, you can't have these two other things. Something right? else But by the way, get- that rejection of those two things motivated me when I was five. I'm like, look, I'm going to start mowing lawns then for $5. So fast forward in my life of things happening, being rejected, uh, that basis of like, okay, well, opportunity costs, but I want to get there anyway, so I'm just going to work harder. And it's hard, you know. In my 20s, I was at uh, my second job out of Eureka was on the East Coast, and I was doing week- weekend sports. But it was a move up; I doubled my salary, so I was very happy. I Went from eight thousand eight hundred to like seventeen or eighteen thousand a year. But I was like, hey, rolling, rolling. If I can just keep look, if I can keep doubling. At some point, it's your ceiling height money, went right? down
1: from twelve feet to eight feet. Things are looking good for you. <laughs> Things are looking good for you.
0: Yeah, and so I remember, you know, in my in my second job, it was April first, and I had to go down to Boston because the Red Sox were going to open their season in a couple of days. So, I, and then I this was in Nashua, this was in New Hampshire, in Concord, New Hampshire. So I don't know, forty five minutes from Boston, an hour, I don't know, and so. Driving back up with my shooter, we get up and we come into the station and there's nobody in the newsroom and it's four 30 and we have a, we have a newscast at six. I, I mean, literally nobody. So it's either like, I don't know what happened. So I saw a janitor and he's like, look, go upstairs. And I'm like, what? He goes, just go upstairs. So I go upstairs and I come up the stairs. I see this big conference room upstairs. I never been upstairs before, thank God. That's where all the bad things happened. I heard and this was on this day, you know, so, so as I'm going up, I can see people and I look and I see people like kind of like dabbing their eyes and some sniffles and I'm like, what in the heck happened? And so I walk in the door and the, at the time, the richest Irish man in North America, Thomas Flatley, who owned the Flatley Hotels and much stuff, just he was telling the, uh, the entire staff, this hurts me as much as it does to mm-hmm. put down my dog. And I'm thinking, well, that's not good. And I said, I, sorry, I just got here. I said, what does that mean? He's like, well, we're shutting down everything. I said, when he goes effectively right now, oh. I'm like, there's no six o'clock newscast. He's like, no. Wow. And I'm like, okay, well, hold on. I just want to make those of the contracts. You can honor them. And he said, yes. And then, um, and they ended up trying to squeeze a lot of them, but we settled. And then I went downstairs to make resume tapes. And what it, that taught me was, At 5.59.30, so 30 seconds to 6 o'clock, you come on with the tease for the news, right? So I'm thinking, so we're all watching, like, what's going to happen, you know, because nobody's on set, nobody, I mean, we're basically fired. And all of a sudden, it it goes to snow, then some bars come up, color bars, and then it goes to a scroll, that we regret to inform you that WTNH or WNHT, whatever it was, uh, you know, news is no longer, Bubba, thank you for watching. Then it goes to snow again, and then you know what replaces this? Come and knock on my door. <laughs> company, a syndicated show, and it taught me syndication that, comes in. Exactly. Well, it taught me that you can be replaced at any moment, mm. right? And so, wow, it's so, so true. when that, yeah, so when that happened, I mean, you kind of know that. But when that happened, I was like, okay, I, I'm pissed. I'm going right. to go make a hundred and some resume tapes, and I'm going to just go through the book. There's a book that people should know that that lists every market in the country from number one, New York to LA to I think 228, which is Glendive, Montana, which is appropriately named, no offense to the people of the great city of Glendive, Montana. But um, so I just went there and I did a U shape from, from uh, New Hampshire all the way down to the South. And then I was going to come back up California and then end up in Seattle where I grew up. And here's the, here's the crazy thing about that. So I made all these tapes and I sent them out with personalized letters to all these news structures in these, in these towns. I
1: think you said 125 tapes if I listened to your thing yeah, correctly. Yep.
0: yep. Yeah. And then, so, and then I, what you had to do back then, because this is 1989, maybe, yeah. I don't know. And uh, you, got a, you got the Rand McNally maps trying to figure out where everybody is. So I had to stop in like a 7 Eleven or something for a public phone. There's no cell phones. And I had to call that news director or whomever would hopefully would answer the phone. So, look, I'll, I'll be there. My, my letters always said I'll be there at two o'clock on whatever day. So I said, "Look, I'll be there at two o'clock tomorrow." So I'd show up, and sometimes they—I w- always got in pretty much. But, but yeah. And then back to the end of the story is that you know I go back to Seattle and I'm just you know waiting for people because there's no email, and so I started getting bang, bang, bang in the mailbox. You know, sorry, no, sorry, no, sorry, no. You're not just for us. Then a the couple were like, "Hey, maybe you should like find another line to work, not get out of the TV, get out of the TV business." And you I know. Like
1: to say- like to see where they are right now. Yeah, well it's, it,
0: well, it's like a hundred, you know, like a, near a hundred of those. And uh, others just didn't respond. They're like, who gives a shit about this guy? Um, yeah. But go back to my parents, this full circle. So as those start coming in, I'm, I'm taking a hit. I'm like, wow, well, I think I'm pretty good. And I think I can get really good. And I'm, you know, I'm always learning. And then the ones that came through that said, you know, maybe trying to the line of work or you know, maybe just not right for TV. I'm like, what am I, radio? I don't know. And uh, it pissed me off. It really pissed me off. At first, it set me back, and then it, then it really pissed me off. And I thought, okay, mofo, because back to my parents. My parents used to say to me, it's going to be a little bit of noise here. My parents would say to me, listen, consider the source. Because when I was in like 8th or ninth grade, I started getting bullied. My good friends mm. who I was friends with all the time, we were great in sports, they, they left me because there were things going on socially that I just like, I'm not going to do that. I have no problem if you do it, but, you know. And so starting to drinking and smoking stuff. So so I went, my parents are like, listen, you'll be lucky in when you graduate high school, if you see one or two of these people the rest of your life, don't let them screw up your life for the rest of your life. So that meant and considering the source of where they're coming from, it's not you, it's them. Mm. Consider the source. So when these started coming back to me, these rejection letters and what have you. I thought, okay, consider the source. This guy's in, you know, Tyler, Texas or Beaumont, Texas. He probably hates it there, probably had a bad day and it's not really about me. I mean, look, I'll take responsibility if I've got room to grow and I'll always take, you know, uh, constructive criticism and, you know, tips and all that stuff. But also that upbringing kind of really came full circle during that time when, you know, as you asked, you know, how do I keep going? You see, you know, it's body blow, body blow. It's like, you what know, but that's the thing is, is to tell people out there, at the times, and, and you know, cliches are, are still around for a reason because they're freaking true. And, that, you know, it's it's darkest so before the that? dawn. And I, I couldn't get a gig for about f- four months. And I remember I went into the local TV independent TV station in Seattle and I said, yo, can I, I'm out of work. I'm a sports guy. Can I just edit some, some resume tapes? I don't even want a job. Don't worry. Can I just, like, I'll pay for the edit bay I'll, or, you know, I'll sweep the floors if I got to pay for an edit bay. Cause I knew how to edit. Thank God. Right. Back again. I, I knew how to right. do that. And then one day the news director comes in he's like, Hey, let me see what you're doing. So I showed him and he's like, well, you know, we're going to have an opening probably in a month or so. He said, you know, do you want to, you want to try out for a week or two? And I said, listen, here's what we'll do. I will work for free.'" for two weeks and if i'm any good at that point at least pay me if i'm not don't worry about it he's like oh i can't, can't do that he was a really good guy his name was jack eddie sweet, super sweet guy one of the nicest news directors i ever met as a human being super nice and then you know i did that and and i ended up you know about a month later they hired me but in the meantime i'm like oh shit i need money and there was an that my uh friend called me and said hey fox is going to do this new game show and you should go audition to be the host. I'm like, absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm in my 20s. I can do anything. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the great thing about being in your 20s. It's like, yeah, you're kind of fearless. And, or, or and, and eat just,
1: ho-hos and drink beer and still look 100%. good. percent
0: hundred percent. That's why my hairline's receding after all those chemicals all those years. Uh, oh, man, <laughs> if I
1: look that good eating ho-hos and beer, that's what I'd be doing
0: every day. That's <laughs> uh, funny. Um, and so i was like, okay. So I went to Seattle and auditioned. And, um, they liked me, brought me back. And then, uh, I was in top three and then they didn't, they didn't give it to me. They gave it to a guy by the name of Wink Martindale, who was a huge, actually back in the day, he was your seventies and eighties, like game show host, Wink Martindale. Wink and I was like, ah, oh, crap, I need money. What am I going to do? Cause it was, you know, obviously a good paying job. And then a week later they called me and they said, Hey, you were so good as the potential host of this show. Sorry, we didn't hire you, but you want to be the first contestant. Like, Absolutely. So, so I go, so they, I go up to Vancouver, Canada, and uh, it's my first time, you know, staying in a in a five star hotel. And it was in in the Granville section of Vancouver, Canada. Canadian people are the are the greatest. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, notwithstanding, but other people are nice. <laughs> uh, and so, I did the show, and I did so well that they had to change the the rules because I kept winning, and nobody could beat me. <laughs> so, so I won. I won like thirty five thousand dollars. <laughs> of like furniture and all kinds of crazy stuff and so but i really don't have a place you know to call my own back in seattle you know i live with my sister and what have you um and so all this furniture just starts showing up like i won like you know a pool table i won bedroom sets i won three dining sets i mean who, who does anything you know from broil Hill. but all of that stuff led me to believe like i just keep going going trying trying and then you know Channel Eleven in, in Seattle called me and said, "Look, we'd like to be weekend host." Um, so, you know, just when it was darkest, and I thought, "God, I just, you know, let me go like, you know, I don't know, cut down trees in the forest, do something." It's it's Washington; I can go be a, a lumberjack. And uh, and and the light came through. You know,
1: it, it's it sounds like with so many stories that I've learned about your life, Tony. It sounds like one thing that you also do is it seems like you take the action first so for example you t- you went up and you said i'm going to do this for free i don't care yeah. i'm going to do whatever it is to do i i've done that a couple times in my in my arena with music and some people think i'm absolutely insane they're like you're not getting a return what are you doing and i mm-hmm. go I, I go this is for me it's a long term game And when you talk about that, the other thing that comes to my mind too, is the saying luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And it seems Mm -hmm. like you put yourself in opportunity.
0: Yeah. Or, or shove my way in there sometimes, you know, just, just by being insatiably curious. I, I mean, the whole thing about the talk show thing was, you know, I needed money because uh, yeah. the contract that I had from New Hampshire was well, they stopped paying for a while. So I was like, holy moly. And um, but I thought, you know, that's interesting. Like, what, what is it to be a, a game show host? And so I thought if I went and auditioned, they would I would learn, which I did. They did mock, you know, like a mock game and what happened. The interaction between the two contestants and a mock board and all this stuff. And I thought, well, it's an opportunity for me to learn much mm-hmm. to what you were saying It's a skill set that I might be able to acquire for the future. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the case, why not? And you're right. I mean, I knew I may not have been the most talented person in the room. And by Mm -hmm. that, I mean, I'll define that real quick in news. There's, you know, I'm Joe anchor. Welcome to the six o'clock news. And I'm a, whatever the hell. And I can never be that. I'm just me. And, and, When I was actually at Humboldt State, there was a guy, and I'll give him his props. There was a guy named Mark Ibanez who might still be at KTVU Channel 2 in Oakland. And he, I called in the 80s because you can't, you know, you can can send a letter. But I called down and got him. I said, hey, I'm just a young guy. I I, I suck. I'm horrible. But I want to do what you do. Could I come down and, like, just hang with you for a day and see what's happening? He's like, yeah, absolutely. You know, didn't know me from Adam. By the way, somebody else helping somebody, you know, putting a little, putting a little, you know, a, a little piece in my heart of like, remember this. And I go down and I'm I'm shadowing him. And you know, it's a big station, it's beautiful. I'm interning at this point, the you know, really Rinky Dink station, 268 miles north. And and I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. You know, I'm looking around, he's got producers, he's got people who writes for him, you know, he's a good writer. But the reason why I reached out to him, because he was natural. I felt like he was just talking to me, just one person. And so I said to him at the end, I said, look, pretend you're me and you're, you know, 21 years old. What would you tell yourself? And he goes, he said, just be yourself. Now, don't respond, Tony. It's going to seem obvious, but here's what I'm going to tell you. He goes, because if you're going to be Joe Anchor and be somebody up there that you're not really trying to be, he goes, when shit hits the fan on live television, and it will many, many times, you're going to have to think for half a second, how does Joe anchor react to that, as opposed to how does Tony react to that, which is instantaneously, if there's a mistake or whatever, and if you, if you answer instantaneously just who you are, then you'll connect with the audience, and they won't really know why they like you, but they'll connect with you right away because you're like them. And they're like you, you admit mistakes. Nobody's perfect. And so I took that and I I ran with it. Um, Some might say a little too far, but that then helped me develop a skill set that not many people apparently had later, like in the late eighties, early nineties was walk and talk live, no script. I could go for an hour because I was always myself. And in I was always, you vulnerable. were always yourself
1: every time I yeah. saw, I mean, you were yeah. always consistent. When I, when I worked with you at access Hollywood, yeah. you were,
0: well, I, I can't, I can't do anything else. That's the, I'm kind of stuck, Matt. I mean, but, I can't and that's can't what's so attractive,
1: but that's, what's so attractive about you. Like well, overall, you. that's, that's, it's, it's an energy you absolutely feel. Even if I'm texting with you, it's like, I'm ready to go run a marathon after I get a text nah. from Tony Potts, because he's just, you've got not only that positivity, but you are genuine. And even You're on, on a
0: marathon because you've you've composed some amazing new, new music. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's happening with you. I, I about appreciate that, but I mean, your career, but you um,
1: I re I remember again. This is another story, and 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 why it's it's hard touching to talk to you after twenty years because there's I'm just it's it feels good to be able to tell you some of the ways you've touched my life and how wow. I saw you in your in your industry. Is I remember after I left, I had left Access Hollywood but we've always stayed in touch. And mm-hmm. I remember, another, again, this is this is me being, I'm in my 20s, I'm drinking beer, eating ho-ho's, and I'm just being dumb, and I've got these dreams, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I remember, again, I remember I texted you once, and I said, hey, like, again, no one knows. I'm, I'm a nobody, and I'm playing piano. <laughs> and I go, hey, you know that New Music Tuesday segment that we do, Tony? Do you think you can get my music on there? And again, you replied to me. You didn't say... Well, hey, you know, you said which date? That's what you said to me, and and I know you you probably don't even remember these things, but it, no, you, I, but, I do remember. But but you said which date? You did you didn't? You knew I was this kid that had this flame of hope, that had this that had these dreams, right? And it was people like you that just even though you know i knew rob silverstein was not going to put it on of all the you well, know god god bless rob you know I, you yeah. know no, no one's going to put I, I, but you <laughs> responding which date it, y, y, there are so many times especially in, and i see it now just getting older and i see younger people getting into whatever field they want you yeah. know you, you were journalism in this amazing career and then we haven't even talked about how you continue to reinvent yourself but those little flames of hope of people, when you come in and you have these stars, I, I'm i so grateful that you never were like, ah, Matt, just, you know, hey, kid, you got to no. get yourself an agent. You got to do this. You got to do that. Blah, 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 blah. You said, what date? And it was just like, whoa. Yeah, it's, it's who you know, who right? this guy? It, like, no, like, just, it's so it cool. Gives,
0: yeah, it gives me so much pleasure in, in doing that. You know, it's, I'll tell you a little story though. So, because <laughs> I love music, right. And I love discovering new bands, new people, new everything. Right. Yeah. I'll tell you two quick stories. So my oldest daughter, I could uh, sit here talk- for two
1: days and listen to your stories, Tony. I just, I love it. The The people you've talked to your experiences. I'm, I'm just a sponge over here.
0: Well, thank you. This I've, I've done a lot and I've, I've been blessed yeah, to see a lot and, and meet a lot of interesting people. Um, but I remember my oldest daughter had said to me, she was probably 10 at the time, maybe, maybe a little less. But she, we were talking and she said, hey, you know this thing called YouTube? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, hey, there's this kid on there who's really good. He's like really young, but he's really good. And all like, all the girls are like, just think he's great. He's got a great voice. And they said, his, his guitar, they said, she goes, don't laugh. Like, please watch it. But you know, when you see the video, it's like the guitar is bigger than him, and I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, my family, we love music, we love new things. So I watch, I watch this video, and it's she goes, look, the other day it had like 2,000 views, and now it has 12. So I'm like, okay. So by the time I think about it, I look at it, and then I get to it the next day, and it has like 34,000 views. I'm like, oh well, maybe she made a mistake. So I call my daughter back. She's like, no, 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 it had 12,000. I'm like, okay. So I go into Rob Silverstein. I said, yo, you should listen to this. I said, I think this is something coming up. I said, this is, and, he, and I'm telling him about the views. And, you know, this is early days. So nobody knew shit from shit about anything. Right. Like, but I'm saying, look, he's got some views now. He's got three times the amount of views. Maybe you should like think about it. And Rob's like, ah, pal, call me, you know, come back when he's got 50,000. <laughs> <laughs> so, I shit you not. I shit you not. This was in the morning. After the show, because we shoot from one to 130, as you know, we're done, yep. you know. Um, and I look, and it has fifty nine thousand views. So I go back in and I just pull it up. No, no, I said, just pull it up. And it, by that time, it had sixty thousand views. Just in my walk down, like got six hundred views. I'm like, I'm telling you, let's figure this out. Let's find this guy. And do something. it was Justin Bieber, and unbelievable. and. and but it's one of those things like, and this goes back to, you reminded me of that when you said you had music coming out and I said, when's the date it's going to drop, is there's a great joy in that. And all you need is somebody to see you and give you a break. I was with somebody the other night for New Year's Eve, and they are probably worth, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars now. I don't know. Um, their house houses in Beverly Hills. They're really kind people, wonderful human beings. But you know, for years he, in his, the way he was thinking of things and doing business and what have you, he was trying and trying and trying, and he was doing okay. He said, but then he said to me, he "Goes, you know, finally, so I just needed one person, one person to say yes and give me a chance, and then from there, they blew up, mm. right? But it was, a, it was a, for him, it was a, you know, he said it was a decent, decent struggle for a while, and that you know happened to me in, in television. Um, I'm sure it happened to you with trying to get your music out and what have you. But you just need that one person to go, you know what? And you know, my one person was Lisa Gregorish and at, at she ended up being an extra, but she was asked by Rupert Murdoch and uh, the other Murdoch. What's her name? I can't remember the, the, the daughter, but anyway, um, to take over Fox five in New York. And prior to that, she had called me about a gig in Dallas On a Saturday morning at 8 a.m., this woman calls me on the phone. I'm sleeping, and she's like, "Hey, Tony Potts, this is Lisa G. You're gonna be my new anchor in Dallas." I'm like, "What? Who are you?" And I hung up on her. Call me back. (laughs) Don't you ever fucking hang up on me again. I'm telling you. And so, so anyway, we became friends. But you know, Lisa G. believed in me. And and when Lisa G. took over New York Fox Five at the time, was just brutal. The way they did news, the morning show was pretty amazing. Actually, it was groundbreaking at the time. It was a little out of control. And I'd always been not the, you know, studious anchor kind of dude. So I was always this free flowing kind of guy. And I always wanted to have. Talent around me, other anchors who could just ad lib forever. And when you come up in news, a lot of times people are pretty scared of certain things. They don't ad lib and what have you. And I remember I said, send me a tape of what's going on at Fox and send me a tape of the morning show. Good day, New York. And they were just about number one in the market that time, or about to be. They were incredible. They had people everywhere. It was, you know, just off the cuff, and, you know, they went to a guy on the street. He had a he had a stogie. He was talking about the potholes, and I'm like, this is my and the people on there, Matt. And you'll you'll understand this because you're 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 much better at your craft than I am at mine. But when I saw them on tape, there was Larry Hoff. there was Cheryl Washington, there was Julie Golden. Um, they were all ad lib for the most part and they were better than me and i was considered at the time i was getting recruited across the country because of what i could do ad libbing and walking and talking and doing stuff and the way i wrote you know all that like for example like just to give people an example like say for example if i was writing about the lakers you know and lebron james taking on you know whomever
1: yeah,
0: um i wouldn't say oh big game tonight for lakers i said you know i was talking to my mom the other day and she did she's like what's up with this lebron guy like, why is he have all these tattoos? And that's how I'd start my, you know, that's how I'd get into it, right? Just and and so I saw them and and I thought, oh my God. So I said, yes, I'm coming. And then when I was able to do that show, I didn't host it, um, you know, when I first got there because I was just a dude on the show. Um, I was like, oh my God, this is my playing field. Like th- these are the people I have been searching for. And they made me so much better quickly because it was. It was one of those things. And that's because of Lisa, because Lisa would always say, just go. And if I got to pull you back, I'm going to pull you back, but just you be you. And if I got to slap you around a bit later, that's okay. I'd rather. So you had
1: permission, you had permission and autonomy to, to let Tony be Tony.
0: Yeah. And there, look, I said, you know, I screwed up a lot of times. I mean, you know, in a way, but when I made mistakes, like I was comfortable with it because I, I went with the premise that I, there's, there will be stuff happening live. There'll be mistakes happening, what have you, you know, it's kind of like, so I'm not surprised by any of it. So am in the back of my head, I'm always kind of prepared for something. Like one time I remember I was hosting I was about a year into it and the cameras were robotic. And I remember we came at a commercial break and, and I'm like, Hey, welcome back. It's, you know, eight Oh five, you know, uh, it's a good day in New York. And all of a sudden all the cameras went Voom. and so they're pointing at the floor, but they're still live. So I just got up and I went on the floor and I, you know, I was like, Hey, <laughs> You know, you know, just stuff like that, because why not? Right. Right. So it, it's it, that, that ability and that, you made a good point, that freedom to do that and to not be afraid and fearful, because mm-hmm. I think in our lives I've traveled the world and I've been blessed to meet all kinds of people in all kinds of countries, whether it's the jungles of Borneo or wherever I've been. And the common theme is most people, most people just want to be acknowledged, want to be heard, and want to be loved, mm. right? And so, but fear creeps into that. So if 100%. somebody gives me the 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 playing field in which to kind of be free form, um, you know, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift, man. It really is.
1: Fear, what you just said, I mean, so many nuggets. What you said about fear, again ties into so many, many experiences that I've had of, I could either try to get as super prepared for something and which I, I try to always do. Yeah. But I still have a fear. I, I'm still, I'm talking to the great Tony Potts today. I was, I was nervous today. I was like, man, I gotta have my, I'm using a new, I'm using a new thing and, and, and I do, I do have that fear, but, it's also, it's also comforting to know that pe- successful people like you, you deal with that every day, but you, it, it doesn't stop you. You take that action. And it's like mm-hmm. people saying, just, just move forward, just go. And um, yeah, it,
0: but you and, listen it, real quick, but for you back to like having a playing field where these people were better than me. As you know, you're incredible, you're very accomplished, but on your way up, I'm sure that on occasion, you either have the opportunity to, to be in a room with somebody who's really good, probably better than you, Oh yeah. or, ch- you know, chit chat, or maybe like open for somebody who's incredible. And that, that just makes you better, right? They elevate mm. you because you see like, oh, okay. And, the, and then it's not so much you steal, but you kind of take things and go, oh, I see what that p- person did. You know, um, and I remember, I'll tell you the example. I'll give you a shout out. There's a guy by the name of Larry Hoff who was on Fox 5 uh, uh, Good Day New York back in the day in the 90s. And when I saw tape of him doing a live shot, and you know when you do a live shot, most people are like standing like this, you know, whatever. And, yeah. and I was never kind of that way anyway. No. But, but, but Hoff, Hoff was... So they, they tossed to him, and he's walking. All <laughs> you see, and he's talking. I mean, all you see... All you see is his back and his, and his ass and his feet. He's going to
1: get some ho he's, he's Yeah, but he's just know. like,
0: and he's, he's talking. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like you can turn your back on the camera. Like it's okay. Cause if you're, if you're, le- he was, by the way, he was getting ready to go up on the Brooklyn Bridge. But um, if you're, if you're walking and talking with people, at some point you might be ahead of them. Right. It's just like it's natural to look back and, you know, he would look back and say Wh- whatever. And he continued to go and come this way. And I, when I saw that, I, I kind of stole that little nugget. I'm like, okay i'm gonna do that in the studio though um you know and i'm sure for you with you know on your way up and and you becoming so masterful at what you do there were probably people who you looked at and go oh i can take a little of that and take a little bit of confidence and you know
1: this last summer i did a i did a small tour in croatia and i opened for mate Mestrovic, and um he's a, he's a friend of mine and and th- this man he's he writes he's there's that maestro movie with Leonard Bernstein. He, that's who he reminds me of. He's just a genius. And he, and I purposely open for him because he should be the closer and all that, but I've, when I've taken my ego out of it, because my ego will be threatened or I've taken my, and, and then my insecurity will come and be like, there's no way in hell I can do what he just did. There's no, yeah. but to <laughs> what you just said, though, I can be me. And I can take those nuggets of what he just did, which was mind freaking blowing, but I can be me. And Mm -hmm. if I approach that in a learning way, like you just, like you just pointed out it's such a great point, Tony, because at one side, as a creative person on one end, I want to surround myself with the best. I want Mm -hmm. to learn from people like you. I want to learn from people that have gone all over the world. And at the same time, I don't want to be threatened because I might not be better than them at this or that, or this or that but how can i be how can i collaborate and how can i use that to become a better person
0: yeah no i, I agree 100% and um i saw some of your performances that you had on that tour and, and the places you played were stunning and magical but you know I, that's all of us all of us go through that i think you're 100% right we all we all have fears we all have ego um you know it was one of those things where i remember i got pretty good at basketball for a while and hey, 14 am,
1: points and eight rebounds in 2007 NBA All-Star. Man, those are your stats you're putting up. I'm just saying, when it go. comes to basketball. I got am the I, trophy. Am I right on that? Did I read that right? You, you are very right.
0: You are, you are 100%. <laughs> and I, I did. everybody watching, I did not pay him for that. Um,
1: <laughs> no, it's like, man, I couldn't but, do that in a high school game, let alone the NBA All-Star celebrity game that you played in.
0: Yeah, well, I was hell-bent because the year prior – I was sick, and I played in the game, and and uh, Eva Longoria was my coach, and uh, at the NBA All Star game, I think it was New Orleans, I think we were, I'm not sure, but I just felt bad, and I remember seeing Queen Latifah after, and she was like, "Man, I thought I'd get more out of you," I said, "You know what?" I said, "I got the flu or something," I said, "Okay, here's what we're gonna do," I'll bet you next year, if they allow me to play, I will be the MVP. I said, I'll wager any amount of money. I said, I, and I'm assuming you have a lot more than me. I said, and, I, and then she goes, you know what? I'll take that. She goes, but let's just make it fair. Let's just do a dollar. I'm like, you know what? That's a good idea. So we bet a dollar. And then I am, it's, I'm training like in December and January. I'm at the gym at 4.30 in the morning. I'm running, I'm running the basketball court. I'm throwing the ball off the end of the uh, the wall under the basket like an outlet pass running down shooting. I'm like, I, nothing's going to stop me. Right. And in January is coming, you know, and I'm in January. It's great. And then, um, and then February comes and that's when the NBA all-star game is. And right before then, and Nicole Smith dies mm-hmm. and they send me to the Bahamas and I'm like, okay. I mean, it's a huge story. I get it, but I got I to gotta go play. In the, and I think it was in Vegas. It was in Vegas that year. And I'm thinking, so I end up calling the aforementioned Rob Silverstein. I'm like, I don't give a shit what you got to do. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. You know, Thursday, I'll shoot whatever you want. Thursday, we can air it Friday, whatever it is. I got to be there. He's like, OK, pal, don't worry about it. So much to his credit, I got home. at. I flew my dad into into L.A. And then that on Thursday, I was uh, I got home like 11 o'clock at night on Thursday night, the game was on Friday, I think like at three or four mm-hmm. o'clock on, on Friday broadcast by ESPN. And I was excited cause my dad and I were going to drive. I, I like you know, it's from LA to Vegas, people think like, why would you drive? But it's the same door to door. Cause you got an hour to the airport right. then you have, you know, at the right. airport, then you got to fly, then you got to get out of the airport and you drive. just boom, four hours. Take that
1: 15, take five yeah. hours, spend some quality time. You're fine. Exactly.
0: So I get up at 4.30. I go to the gym. I'm shooting. I haven't shot in about four or five days. So I'm sh- just raining jumpers left and right, left and right. And then I get back, take a shower. And then my dad and I take off at 6.30. And it was, you know, it was the, it was, you know, my dad's since passed. And it, it, like you said, I just riding with him through the desert, chatting with, you know, Big Ray. Um, and then having him there, you know, to watch me. He used to be in the stands in high school, you know, when I was playing. And now he's in the stands, you know, at an NBA celebrity all-star game. So how the cool. hell does that happen? You know? So cool. So, so yeah. But that's, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, you can get intimidated. I mean, you know, I remember right before Jimmy Fox came to me and he was like trying to, I knew Jimmy pretty well. He's trying to give me some shit. And then I think Master Peter, a little bow Wow came over and started saying, I don't know what they're trying. They were trying to, I don't know how they thought I was good or whatever, but um, so they started unduly influence me, which just back to my childhood and stuff, it's like, I know where you're coming from. You're only doing that because you're scared. Right. You're only coming and trying to influence me because you're scared. If you weren't mm. scared, you wouldn't give two shits about me. So that's a life lesson too. I mean, it's funny, as complex as life is and all this crazy shit, it's really kind of simple. People are, many people, a lot of people, many times, and I've included on, on occasion, are fear fear driven, fear based, right? Because especially now with social media, you know, you can, you can, people can take pot shots from anywhere. overwhelming. Yeah. overwhelming. And so I think there's going to be some sort of capitulation point with social media coming soon. Um, I mean, there are now studies out there because of, it's been a good 10 years or so, especially with like um, 11, 12 years with Instagram and what it's done to young girls and their self-esteem and, and ladies too. Um, and, and the demarcation line, I think was 2012 or 13 on that. But it's, so it's, 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 and, and by the way, that's even more putting up a front that you're not really who you are. But I think there's also this other movement with younger people that I know. My other my other daughter's 19 is that, you know, a lot of them are like, we just want to be real and being vulnerable and being authentic are, are becoming more important now. It wouldn't seem that way if you just look at, you know, Instagram or whatever, but that's also an algor- algorithmic sort of, you know, false narrative too they sent you know god forbid i i click on a you know uh an ad or or, or talk about ford mustangs or something and i'll get an ad in about two hours with Ford. it's like wait a second how does that happen it's unbelievable you know, so so it's all it's fear you know it's fear driven and just you know just be just do the work man that's the thing it's like you talked about it earlier and you're so you're so right when i was at access or any other place um, I think maybe in part because I, w- I got so many rejections and because some people said I shouldn't be in TV, that I just worked harder. I read everything. So when I would go sit down with Julia Roberts, I would know so much shit about her that I, I would not use 99% of it. But, and you mm-hmm. know this very well, is that because there's this blizzard of media and there's entertainment tonight and extra, and we're all, you know, two or three shows are doing the same thing with the same people. So how do you make it different? Right. How do you come out of that? How do you differentiate?
1: How do you, how are you going to get the catchy headline? How are you going to,
0: yeah. How do you come through and grab that viewer? Right. That's right. And so I always, I always banked on the fact that some celebrity, some A-list person would say something that was a throw off that most people wouldn't get, but because I'd done my research, I would grab it. And then that would endear me to them because they're like, Oh, this, freaking guy actually does some research he's not just like you know some dippy guy on tv and he gives a shit right i think giving a shit's a big is a big part of it too because they can they can tell that you know they do so many interviews they can tell who's real who's not and who's whatever and uh you know and that one of my big first big interviews was julia roberts and hugh grant in uh london uh for notting hill and and you know i was new to access right and rob comes to me he's like hey She's the first $20 million woman. You got to get the bite about money. I'm like, well, first off, you don't ask humans about how much they make. And secondly, you don't ask women about money. I mean, what do you right. get it? I was, you know, I've been there like a month. I don't know how long I've been there. Don't but come back a, without That's it. a
1: good point right there. there. There's a directive there that people don't see that that are given to you. And, mm. and and I didn't mean to interrupt that, Tony, but you brought up such a good point. Like, this is one of the things I learned just watching you and watching the other talent is I can attest the intense preparation you would do because I I was the punk grabbing coffees and then interrupting you as you were trying to do your work. <laughs> but also what people don't understand is you have a boss too that is saying, um, not just not good, bad, or indifferent is just, you have directives of yeah. things that you're in charge to get. And now what was such a, almost a polarizing effect is watching you. Yeah, we have to do this, but I have to get this soundbite. How do I get this person? Like, how did you manage those asks? How did you navigate that and, and do it in a way that you didn't feel like you were compromising yourself in the process?
0: Well, there are times when you, when you do feel like you're kind of compromising. You're like, okay, how do, how do I get, you know, how do I thread the needle on this one, right? And, and also, just so, just so people know, between my boss and me, or maybe like this is there are a whole lo- host of producers who are also given the same directive. They're putting the, the, you know, the, the assignment sheets together, you know, they've got all these questions so they know that there's pressure on them, that they got to pressure me to like, look, you got to get this, you know? And it's funny. Cause I would laugh sometimes, you know, I'd be doing like a 10 or 15 minute interview with some big star and they'd have like 25 questions and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to ask a question every 22 seconds and not give them a chance to like, <laughs> what are you doing here? You know? Um, On the carpet, you probably no, get
1: one or two questions. It, it, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and the thing I would say to a lot of, to a lot of um, managers and agents and and their and their PR people was like, listen, you're coming to us for a reason. <laughs> you want us to give you free publicity for your movie, or your show, or your book, right? And if you wanted three minutes of of you know early access, you want to buy that time. It's going to cost you. I don't know, two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars So we're giving that to you for free. So there are other things that we may want along the way. I said, so we need, I said, you need to prepare your client. And sometimes I would say, look, I need to ask this question. This is, this is a non-negotiable. I'm going to ask this question. I will do it nicely and I will ask twice. So, so you'd be upfront sometimes if needed, yeah, you prep know, your, prep your, I mean, you know, most, most PR people, who handle the talent are, 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 are pretty smart and they will prep their, you know, they'll give them a head heads up. And so they would do that. And so I said, look, have a prepared statement. I don't give a shit what they say. Just, I'm going to ask. And then Mm -hmm. other time, and I would re ask just to make it look good and maybe get, make them feel comfortable. Um, But then others like with Julia Roberts, uh, you know, I I never met her. I was new to the show. Um, Hugh Grant came in at nine hung over with a massive headache. Um, Cause I, I don't know what his team is, but they, they played as a, a soccer a football match the night before. And he was out with his buddies. He told me, um, but he's very sweet, but he's just like, just don't talk loud. "Like <laughs> um, And then she came in after and it was a Dorchester in London. And she walks in and she's like, I'm like, hi, I'm, you know, Tony Potts She's like, I don't know you. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I'm new. I go, but I do know you. Um, nice to meet you. Julie. We sit down and, and we're chatting and she's, you know, a little bit. And she's like, when are we going to start the interview? I'm like, we already have. She's like, and you know this, I don't have notes because when you have notes, it's an interview. But when you don't have notes, it's a conversation. And so, and I'm like, well, they're up here. Those are my notes. And she's like, we'll fucking see about that, won't we? And she starts laughing. (laughs) So, so we're going along and things are going swimmingly. And I said to her, I said, listen, they want me to ask you about the money. And I don't want to ask you about the money. She's like, but, and I said something to the effect of, I had read that she's from a small town. And I was from a small town outside of Seattle called Puyallup. i um, try to spell that. And uh, I said, listen, when I got my first kind of big break, you know, I was thinking about the money I was making. And it was more than my dad had made, you know, in his best years by a couple of years, you know. And I, I can only imagine when you when you, you know, got your first big, you know, check like that, it's probably a little weird. You know, you're from Athens. I'm from Puyallup. And she said, you know, since you asked me in such a nice way, I'll answer that question. And she did, and just and just for oh, us. And that ended up, we had a good relationship after that. I mean, we we had so much, so much fun together, Julie and I. Um, but I think she just maybe she respected the fact that A, I did a lot of, I mean, it didn't take a lot of research to know she's from you know, Athens, Georgia or whatever it was. Um, but I brought up some other things. And and so those kinds of things, again, you know, being real, taking a chance, just being honest, like, look, I don't want to ask you about the 20 million, but I got to ask you. But here's what I'm thinking about it, though. Let's look, take a different tack, you know, and, and it works. You know, there's other times I've done stuff that, ha- you know, has blown up badly. But um, but yeah, it's uh, and, it any that you care
1: to share or, or uh, any of that come to your mind.
0: Well, I can remember earlier in my career, my first job, there was a guy who was in the Hall of Fame, was going to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I uh, played for Philadelphia Phillies by the name of Mike Schmidt. And I'd been on the air about Mike three Schmitt. months yep. and I mm-hmm. called him Mike shit on the air. <laughs> and so you think in your head, you're like, I'm like, Oh shit. Did I just say Mike shit? But in the meantime, the highlights are still going right. And I've got, now I've got 30 seconds left in the sports cast. So do I mention it? Do I not mention it? I'm like, nah, just keep going. Thank God. <laughs> and sometimes when you do stuff like, cause there's a the guy at home probably going, Oh, Oh, did he say shit? Right, or and right. the next thing, right? But if he's you make
1: hoes and beer, that guy at home, you know, I mean he's, exactly, he's,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, who's me half the time. So yeah, I mean there's stuff like that. Um uh, yeah, not not too many. I mean, you know, um God, I'm trying well <laughs> I mean some I can't talk about, but uh sure but but I remember there was this publicist who's always really mean to me i won't say her name mm-hmm. but she, I, I didn't even like know her and i was probably one of the nicest people and most you know accommodating and you know you just are. i cared about people and,
1: again from personal experience i can vouch for that
0: well, well, thanks yeah and so i'm flying to edinburgh scotland to do a movie that has sean connery in it who's not her client and then uh and then the the the, the co-star is her is his, her client Um, and, and we're shooting in the castle. It's incredible. And she comes in the room before her client comes in and is like, you're not going to do this. I'm going to pull her. I'm going to take her out of here. And I was like, what are you talking about? And, and so I, I called Rob and I just said, Rob, our show has credibility. It's a good show. We're good human beings. I'm not going to have me or our show treated like this. If I need to walk on this, I'm going to walk. Are you cool with that? He's like, absolutely. And so I told the woman, I said, listen, if you do this, you can walk. Just go. Sean Connery's coming up. He has no requests, no requirements. I said, and we'll gladly do him and go home. And then she finally just, you know, and I don't, I rarely get mad and I rarely get pissed, but it was just so disrespectful. Um, you know, and and I'll just give a little hint out there. It was it was uh, it was for a film called Entrapment with Sean Connery and uh, who's a lovely woman, by the way, his co-star. She's I love her, and she Is plays it, golf, which I love. Is it Catherine Zeta-Jones, the 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 co-star? Yeah. Um, now here's the difference. Sean Connery comes in. Where would you like me? Oh, but sit over here. Okay. Why don't we? We're a little far apart. Why don't we get a little closer? Okay, so we get a little closer. He's like, "You ever play golf?" I'm like, "Oh yeah." Did you bring your sticks? No. He's like. Well, How come? I said, well, because of my boss, I'm only here for, a- Oh, well, I need to call him. I said, let's do it. So we called Rob. He didn't answer. It was a uh, uh, voicemail. Um, and, uh, but he's like, yeah, next time you come bring your sticks and you and I'll play golf here. This is an incredible place to play golf. And I said, I told him, I said, you know, I went for a run this morning and there's that city center where it's like a little pitch and putt and there's women in there with their business suits on. They got three clubs and a person they're hitting. Wow. I said, I love this place. <laughs> So, so yeah, so so you know, it's funny. A lot of many times, the people who've really made it are the easiest, Mm. and the ones who haven't, or or kind of making it, or what have you. And sometimes it's not their fault because they get surrounded by people. What what I think most what I didn't understand before I got into it, you know, especially the Hollywood side, and I would go on the road with some bands, and oh lord. there's a Motley Crue story in there somewhere, but uh, <laughs> I was gonna say
1: there's got to be some good stories there.
0: Yeah, but, but but I think that you know, general public of which I am and I always was and I, I still was, even when I was in the business, is they don't understand. is like when you hit it, it comes at you like a tsunami, a hurricane, and a blizzard at the same time. And so then you have the 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 bigwig people, the agents, the managers, and the PR people who are really good who come to you. Then you have the big ones who are also maybe not so good, but they come to you. And so you're in this fanatic activity, like, holy crap. And every minute and people come at you and there's offers and this, and you're just looking for a solid pole to hold on to. Like, God, just let me kind of get my, you know, and it, sometimes it doesn't stop for two or three years and it's, it's bananas. And so they will, you know, latch onto somebody who's not really the best manager and who's a dick to people and not nice to people. And it'd take them a while to find out because they don't hear anything until finally somehow it breaks through, you know, where I remember I can't say what this is about, but one time we had wanted to do something with somebody who was great. And I know they would have loved it. And we got a pushback immediately. Like, no, she'd never want to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And then years later, I'm having a, I'm having a drink with her. And I said, you know, that back in the day, she's like, I never knew that. Cause it never gets to them. It never gets mm-hmm. to them. They cut things off. And she ended up firing this person, but, but yeah, so I, I never blame anybody too much when they're kind of, you know, dicks or assholes to it. I mean, not really, really bad, but sometimes when you're caught in the middle of everything, you, you, it's, just, it's just too much. You know, there was a time, and I'm not comparing myself to them, but when Anna Nicole Smith hit and I got some exclusives and I got the MVP of the NBA All-Star Game, and then I was on CNN, I was on MSNBC, I was on the Today Show, I was here, and I was doing so much press every single day and all kinds of stuff and still doing my job that I think I was like the third most Google person in the world for like a day or two. Right. Cause so we got the, we got the exclusive with Larry Burkhead. Then we got the daughter and all this stuff. And, and I'm just a little old me, but I had requests coming from everywhere. My phone was blowing up my Blackberry. Remember those? And so. I remember the
1: Blackberries? Yeah.
0: You know, yeah. you, you, you kind of get out of your, know, you're, you're being walked from one thing to another and you, you, you want to stop for people, but you can't, and you got to go here and you got to get on this and you got to go to this set and then you got to go it's back to a live hit.
1: I've seen you yeah. in that action. It's insane.
0: Yeah, it is. But then again, you have to go, you know what? I'm getting paid good money to be around amazing people doing amazing things in amazing places.
1: When you talked about this that you you had to grab onto, how have you gone through this amazing career? But I sit here and talk to you after I know everything you've done and, and you're still this. I, I feel like I'm talking to the same Tony I talked to 20 years ago. What has kept you... That. What has kept you centered? What has kept you Tony Potts?
0: You know, it's interesting you ask that question because I do feel like I've evolved quite a bit. But I've I've evolved and grown off of the base of what I've always kind of been. And I was kind of, I was prepared, you know, with my parents and how they kind of, they taught me. And, you know, they weren't helicopter parents. They let us, man, you know, take a, you take a header, you take a header. But <laughs> think you played about a it.
1: helicopter on TV, I think. A helicopter pilot on TV, didn't you? Uh, did
0: and And for that, for that monumental uh, acting job, I got shot in the head and killed in the episode as well. Okay. And you know how that came about? That was CSI Miami. That's right, you know CSI how that came Miami. About? I saw the first, I saw the pilot. And I was like, this is, because, you know, there was CSI. Yep. And then when you do off, sometimes it just doesn't work. And I saw CSA Miami and I was like, this actually really effing works. So I called the, the publicists and the uh, creators and I said, this is incredible. I said, I love this. And like, really? I'm like, yeah. And so we had TCA's television critic association every summer where all the networks would bring all the stars and the shows into Pasadena to what was the, the Ritz Carlton back in the day. And, um, and so I saw them there. I'm like, look, anything I do, I'm going to, I'm going to promote the show on access. I love this show. And so all year I do set visits and what have you. And they thought, you know what? He's been a good dude. So let's just put him in the season finale, you know, and he can play a helicopter pilot. I'm like, cause so I told him, I said, look, I, you know, I can't act. I can just be me. I, and he said, well, yeah, but you were in ransom with Mel Gibson. I'm like, yeah, if you notice ransom. in that movie, I was me. I wasn't anybody else. You know, um, I remember the yeah,
1: ransom please. poster outside your office too. in our trailer E that you had, you had that, oh, ran- and you were, you were on there
0: when I delivered,
1: right. I would be the first person in that trailer. I'd have to open it up at four 45 in the morning. And I would literally lay out all the papers and stuff. But every time I walked by, I go, there's that ransom Yeah, there's to-, you know, oh. I apologize. And then you'd come walking in early. You're one of the first ones in and you'd always have a breakfast bar and you're, you probably had already run five miles, but, uh, <laughs> not, to, not, not to catch off, but yes, yes. No, the, the, yeah.
0: no you're right. But so, you know, so I kind of had that base and then, um, and you know, when shit hits the fan, it's hard sometimes. I mean, there was, there's been some tough times in, you know, in my life where I've struggled with, you know, who I am. Am I doing the right thing? You know, I've been divorced. Um, you know, I've got two beautiful daughters and you go through that and that's, and that's hard. Um, yeah, there's, there, there, it's no, there are a number of things where I, I always just, for me, I would, I would, I would run and kind of work out and play hoops because I'll t- this is going to sound really silly, but it's something that I do that kind of centers me is that, like, for example, when I'm in Miami, South Beach, Miami, and I would go there for the show to shoot whatever we had to shoot and what have you, I would always run this, this on the beach, this certain route that I would run on the beach, and I'd go down to the, almost the very end, and I would, I would um, in, the, in the grass, there's the, there was this post about oh, maybe this high, like maybe three and a half, four feet high. It's a little post, and it was rounded on the top and, and uh, smooth. And so I would always, that would be my halfway point, and I, I would always touch that. And when I touched it, I wanted to instantaneously have my mind flash to who am I today? Who was I when I touched it a year ago, six months ago, five years ago? What have I done? And, you know, because our brain can really flash fast. Oh, yeah. And so and then when I turn and run, I'm like, okay, so who am I? What am I doing? What are my goals? You know, am I am I being a good person? Did I F up over here? What? And so I do those kinds of things. Like there are certain – so when I play hoops sometimes – uh, especially by myself, I'll go back to things I've done forever. And like, who am I now? Who am I at 40? Who am I at 50? I I'm now 60. Holy shit balls. Um, by the way, no number ever, ever uttered from my lips ever bothered me until I actually said the words six D really
1: that, that one got like, you.
0: well, it was just like, and this is going to sound so cliche, but like, I don't feel 60 and I'm not sure how, don't 60's look it either. To <laughs> Well, well, thanks, thanks. Um, but you know, so I, I do those check-ins, and you know, but I'm still a work in progress, man. Like, there's so many more things I want to do. Like, I, because I have a lot of stories, because I've met a lot of really amazing people. You know, I've been pushed, and I, I shouldn't need to be pushed, but you know, to do my own podcast. Um, so I'm going to do that because uh, I awesome. think I can bring awareness and people to the forefront. Because here's the thing: what I love. Is that there's the mainstream, right, that we all see and hear, but what I really love, and this maybe comes from my Seattle upbringing and you know Pearl Jam and all those crazy bands, is that there's an alt mainstream, and what people I think don't realize is that there's an alternative mainstream that is actually bigger than the mainstream, mm-hmm. and I'll give you an example. Well, the first example is 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 the Seattle music scene, because what what was remember what was happening at that time in music were a little bit of boy bands, not too much yet. But then it was also the crazy ass 80s were just ending and it was all hair bands, you know, and, and poison and those guys. Nothing against those guys. I mean, they were fun or nope. whatever. But it got to a point of sex, drugs, rock and roll and like, eh. but meanwhile, the 80s were, you know, the point when that decade when men and women both worked a lot. Women came into the workforce en masse in mass the, in the 80s you know, and so now you have all these latchkey kids and you have this, is it, is it a real dream? Is it not mommy and daddy are working, you know, 60 hours a week, both of them and, and nothing against them because they wanted a better life. Right. And they want a better life for their kids, but, but who's minding the store. And so there's all this disaffected youth. that's just being out there that nobody's talking about because it's all, we got to be this and that and you yuppies and what have you. And in Seattle, you know, it rains a lot. So you have a lot of time to think. And what was happening then was, if you look back, I mean, think about it. Boeing, if you're on a plane, Boeing. If you shop in mass, you've got, well, you got Nordstrom, high level. You've got Costco came out of there,
1: right? I say Kirkland, yep.
0: Yeah, if you're on, if, yeah, if you're on a, uh, that's why it's signature Kirkland in the thing, because it's, yeah, well done, young man. Well, uh, yeah. If you're on a computer, I've learned
1: from I've learned from the best yeah, I'm talking to and, I'm talking to someone well, that like I, then you
0: got Microsoft if you're on a computer. And if you you know, if you're on your computer at the airport getting on a Boeing plane from Seattle and you're sipping a Starbucks from Seattle. So there is this incredible amount of creativity in Seattle because nobody gave a shit about us. Right. Like we're way up there in the corner. Like, what are they, what are they doing up there? It rains a lot. By the way, it rains just as much as it does in Atlanta, Georgia and New York. But anyway, did not. Um, know that. Yeah, it's the same. I, I have a, I'm filled with a bunch of trivia facts. I, I like that, but but my point being is that so we just did what we had to do back then and, and went with what we thought and you know worked shit out and what have you. Same thing with grunge. It was like, well shit, that's not my life. You know, hair hair metal band, and I'm certainly not in a boy band. And that's not that's what, what the hell are we talking about here?
1: You would have done great in a boy band, Tony. But
0: you know. <laughs> problem is, can't sing, can't dance. Kind of important. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I tried to do something with sync once and it was a disaster. So, it's just <laughs> did, although, you really? did you really? Yeah. Although I did do something with the pussycat dolls, well, but that's, see, that's only what I'm talking because, about. Well, that's because that's only because I was following Nicole Scherz- Scherzinger's footsteps and she was in front of me. So, I'm like, I'll just watch her. There Double bonus. Know. Beautiful woman and super talented. So, I got some steps. But yeah, so, for, so-, so, what came out of that was. You know, we're just going to sing about what we know and what's really going on with us. And alternatively, around the world, a lot of kids were feeling the same shit, and nobody's saying it. Hmm. So that alt mainstream was ginormous. Think about um, Hamilton, right? Yeah. Jazz yeah. hands, jazz hands. Broadway would have never looked at that when it first came out. When they was doing, right. you know, it was first a mixtape, right? And then it You're then right. it evolved into off, 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 and whatever. But what did that do? it brought together a lot of different genres and people and experiences collectively much larger than the base for Broadway mm. because it's hip hop. It's, you know, it's, it's all kinds of alternative ways of looking at things. Diversity. Um, ways yeah. of producing. So, so that's why that hit. Cause it, when, and then when the alt mainstream comes together, it's like a holy shit moment, it explodes. And people are like, Hey, I don't forget. I'm in New York, a good day in New York. I'm walking home. I, it, um, Fox is on the Upper East Side, 67th and 3rd. And I lived on 92nd, off of off of like first. And so I'd walk home 25 blocks, well, you know, or 26 to be, or 25. And um, I remember I did the late news. I did the 10 o'clock news, got off at 11. I was walking home, beautiful summer night. It's like 1994, maybe, you know, and grunge hit 91, 92, and 93. And I'm passing a gap, a gap store. And it's shut down. It's like, you know, almost midnight. And there is a freaking mannequin and doc martens on cut off shorts with thermals underneath which we all wore <laughs> some sort of t-shirt and a flannel and i'm like oh it's over it is it's, freaking over it's but that's the, the point you know th- this gets back to everything we're talking about you know fear of doing you know something nobody else is doing you know all that stuff it it just do what you want to do be who you are trust yourself it's going to be hard as shit cuz it was really easy It wouldn't be worth it and and you know believe in yourself and the mistake i didn't i made and i want to tell people out there and my wife is really good at not making this mistake is i'm a lone wolf man because if you think about it talent in front of the camera we're basically a startup we're like okay i'm this person i think i can do it i need to acquire the skills i need to promote myself okay what's my mvp what's my most valuable product well it's me but how how am i going to be different Right. And how do I, you know, how do I beta test it? Right. Beta test. And then, P, uh, you know, PMF, right. Product market fit. Am I going to fit that market? So you are. And it's and bands are the same way. You know, you're a startup. A you have prototype. to promote yourself. Out, you know, what's your point of difference? Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, my wife is, I never, I never found mentors other than Mark and which was when I was 20 or 21, but I never found mentors. And I should have, you know, Seacrest, Ryan Seacrest, and I had a good talk once a long time ago. And I also have an American Idol story, but um, oh, a really good one, actually. But I will save it for next time. But, um, you know, he was smart because he saw the Dick Clark model, right? And so he, you know, Ryan blew up on radio, kind of, sort of, you know, in L.A. And, and you know, when you blow up in L.A. or New York, you're going to get seen because that's where all the, you know, people who run radio stations and networks and whatever will see you. And then one piece of advice that Dick Clark gave, um, many, that Dick Clark gave him. Because Dick Clark, radio, that American bandstand, then got you know created the, uh, the Golden Globes and just always kind of inventing, but never gave up his radio gig, the American you know top, the top forty or not that was case Casey case, but the other thing he did. And so um, Dick Clark said, "Never give up radio." And look, Ryan never has. And you're smart right. Al Roker, Al Roker told me the same thing. The Today Show, he Willard Scott, the weatherman who was there before him, told him, "Look, you're going to get offers to do other things." Fine, but never give up this job. Never give up this job. And so I wish I would have had a mentor that would have guided me in a better way. Because like I probably should have wrote a book in 2007, 2008, based on my Anna Nicole stuff and the banana stuff that happened to me. <laughs> you know, getting a oh, phone yeah. call at three in the morning going, hey, bring me $50,000 and meet me by the Starbucks. And I've got, I can tell you where Anna Nicole Smith's son, son is. I'm like, Wait. first off, I'm not going at three o'clock in the morning in the Bahamas. And secondly, I don't have $50,000 just hanging out. Like, what's wrong
1: Unbelievable. No, yeah. I I, I want to hear that story at some point.
0: So yeah, but yeah, that's the thing. Like mentors, look for mentors. You know, my wife's big on that. she's, you know, she's taught me a and lot. You're, of and and you're talking
1: when, about, is it Shalini? Is that how you pronounce her name?
0: Well, here's the funny thing. So it looks like Shalini, S-H-A-L-I-N-I, Shalini. But it's Shalini, like Melanie. Shalini, Shalini. But she's Indian, so figure it out. Most Indian names don't make sense when you look at them anyway, right? But for like the first six months, I knew her or actually saw her a couple of times. I would never call her by her name. And look, my business is pronouncing names correctly on TV. I, I couldn't remember what her name was. Was it Shalini, Shalini? So I was like, I'd be like, Hey, how are you? Oh, <laughs> how you doing? Hey, <laughs> I would never... hey, hey, you. Yeah. Hey. Hello. Oh, you know. And finally, and I we haven't even had a chance like to talk about the
1: amazing company that you and her it, it start up with, Ready Set Jet, and all the things. Mm-hmm. That, do you want to just talk a little bit, Tony, about what that company is, and sure. I'll provide links and everything to it. But we'd love. I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So my there's wife so much is, to
1: cover with you, but I I, I yeah, want to yeah, touch I'm, on these I'm, other things that you've well been you doing ask great and,
0: questions, so it, it's you know it's easy and I and I you know and and I feel so at ease and comfortable with you because we've known each other for such a long time. It's it's a real pleasure. It's um, my
1: pleasure. Thank you.
0: So my wife basically was I think importing exporting golf and surfware like in high school when I was tr- trying to figure out how to drive and shoot oh. baskets. <laughs> like she's just she's just been an entrepreneur since day one. And so she's, she's built companies, and, and the latest one that she has, a uh, beauty company she's built, is called Ready, Set, Jet. And there's a campaign within there. She, she's like, we don't need to build another company, another beauty company, right? There's enough of them out there. But if we're going to do it, let's do it differently, and let's do it in a way that makes an impact. And as she was raising her money for her first brand, she was raising $6 million, Her first brand kind of skyrocketed through Sephora and all these places. She's kind of by herself. It's the late 2000s you know, and she's, she's, she's has to go raise 6 million. So she has to go to all these, you know, dog a pony pitch meetings. Right. And out of all of them, there was never in all the boardrooms in New York and LA, there was never a woman in the room ever, mm. ever. And you can only imagine back in then those days, you know, you know, Hey, let's go my G4 for the weekend. Then we'll do, you know, a deal over crepes in Paris. It's like, what the fuck? Wow. So it pissed her off to an extent. Right. But she's like, where's mm-hmm. the old girls network? Like, where is my, where are my mentors? And what have you? And she said, look, when I get out, exit this company, and down the road, I am going to I'm going to put together a foundation that brings women together because we need to come together and we need a mentorship like you know the old boys network. We need an old girls network. Doesn't sound sexy, but it's kind of what you need. And through all of that, so when she built this third brand, they invented these uh, beauty batons, double ended, but they also unscrew so you can mix and match. They're really light, takes your makeup bag from this to this, you know, um, and you can get makeup done really fast and the makeup is really well done. She's a, she want a she's a master formulator. So she won an award from Oprah for innovation and beauty. Wow. And so she said, well, listen, the baton though can be, let's pass the baton to each other as women. So we mm-hmm. can buy one, sell one, buy one, give one, and we can connect through, through the baton young girls and we can create it. We can create a, um, a 501 C3, which they, she did called power, beauty, living, and it's to it's to to power up, you know, your beauty, your business and your balance in life. Beauty inside out. Right. For leverage um, business, because like nobody teaches anything about business, really, mm. in that in that level and then in your life. And, you know, her goal was talk about somebody who who can manifest things when she was building the second brand, she, first first brand, she had a apartment across from the United Nations. Because she wanted to see the flags every day, and like someday I'm going to be there in the United mm. Nations doing something really important. Beautiful. Turns out, t- 10 years saying that constantly in New York, and then in 2017 she's on the floor of the United Nations launching what will, the the Power of Beauty Living uh, uh, offering to world leaders, and then from there she received the Mahatma Gandhi Award, and for that from the British so government. Yeah, for 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 beauty and her work with young ladies and 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 uh, and girls, you know, some in slums and what have you, and so she thought, well, let's marry the two and we'll make the beauty batons. So, the beauty batons have this beautiful message called, "We don't pass judgment, we pass the baton," <laughs> and that's such a rallying point. Look, the 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 makeup's incredible; it's better than anything out there. You know, it really is. I'm not just saying that. I'm a dude. I mean, look, I was in a makeup chair for twenty some years, so I can tell what goes on and goes off. I, yeah, I know Exactly. I know textures and stuff. But this is the innovation. It's the first, you know, in the world. So she combined two things, and so that's what Ready Set Jet is. And and it the women, the women who have responded, the, the company is ninety four percent female funded. Find another so company cool. out there. Actually, we got contacted by the Guinness Book of World Records. They're looking into it to see it. Like, we might be the only company that's like that. So, <laughs> so for me, I just came on at a time when people would want us to work together for a long time. And, you know, we kind of wanted to stay married. And so um, so I come in and bring in, like, corporate partnerships, global partnerships. You know, we're talking to, you know, various basketball leagues that you might know. We're talking to various teams you might know. We, You know, we we were – Hanging out with the F1 people because there's an initiative where we may or may not work on together. I saw that you
1: were in Austin. You were in Austin the other. Yeah, exactly. So you know, F1. Yep.
0: Yeah, and F1's doing the F1 Academy, right? Which is this I believe it's a hundred million dollar initiative to get women's butts in seats. Because look, it's the same thing. There's a young boys' network of go karting. There's not a young boys' network, young girls' network of go karting at all.
1: I love right. what you said. I, exactly. And I love what you said on your Instagram. I think it was last month. You talked about being at the South by Southwest Festival and you talked about how you intentionally put yourself in a room of women and you just shut up and listen. And it was such I, and I know when it's,
0: like this podcast, it's hard to believe that, that I shut up, but no, um, <laughs> no, but, but, no, you're I right. Mean, that's, I, I,
1: it's, but, it's important you are when you're talking about women and you're talking about diversity and how you've embraced that, not only with your past experiences, but then this beautiful partnership that you have with your wife in these companies. And it's not I love what you said about the beauty from the inside out. It's not just this product, right? it's there there's a huge yeah. it sounds like there's this huge why behind your product.
0: hundred percent. and by the way, that's ninety nine point nine percent Shalini and her team. You know, I come in on I mean, I've obviously been along for the ride behind the scenes before I joined. But no, you're right. You go into a room, and I love it because I learn so much when I go into those rooms. You know, I mean, the first time I went in, I was like, "Whoa!" It's, it, you know, it's interesting. And 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 men out there need to think about this. Is that I rarely ever felt like I was a minority. I mean, even though we're you know we're indigenous, we're Cher- Cherokee and Cree and what have you. And my mom had a lot of stuff happen to her because of you know her high cheekbones, color of her skin, her hair, and you know all that stuff. But I've never. I've never felt like a minority in a sense on the gender side, right? And so how often have you walked into a room and it's been mainly women? Probably never or hardly ever, right? Yeah. Most of us, me too. And so when you right. go in the first time, it's, your, your senses are really up. You're like, oh, okay, okay. And then the, then the conversations that start happening, you're like, wow, this is not how it would go if it was a room full of dudes at all. And it's actually better mm-hmm. and smarter some, most of the time. Not some, most of the time. Do you know that only 2% of female-founded companies ever get funded? But 60, 65% of the time, yeah, 65% of the time, female-founded companies outperform male-founded companies. Now, if you're doing wow. a blind A B test of just being a really smart investor, why wouldn't you invest more in women? I mean, come wow. on, right? So when I get in those rooms, I learn things um, for me that are tr- transformational. Um, I put back in my little data bank, right? And, you know, it's like when you go, and so then I, then I start putting myself, I'd listen to them and i think, well, that would suck. Like everywhere you go, you'd be the minority. And I, and I don't mean race minority because there's that whole issue too. And I, I get yeah. all of that. Right. But just from a gender minority, just because, you know, and, you know, you go to India and, i'm like where are the women i'm looking on the streets like where are the women you know and that's because for the longest time boys were considered the better thing to have and little girls weren't when they were born Mm. you know um they're having that problem in china so it's interesting to be in their footsteps and you start you know i we were invited by um angel city football club the uh la based women's soccer team professional and they're amazing and we were invited to go there and so i i've been to arenas all around the world i walk in and i shit you not probably 70, 75% of the 22,000 attendants are women. And it was the greatest effing thing ever. Yeah. just sitting there and just watching all of this and, and and how they interact with the fans and and the players and, and everything. And I just thought, this is, this is the way to do it. I mean, this, and so I, I learned so much from that day. Um, yeah. It's just incredible. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm still a work in progress, but, I feel grateful for the women who allowed me in, you know, um, into, into those meetings and, you know, didn't like push me out. And, uh, and, and also we're very honest in those meetings too, you know, just cause sometimes when there's one or two guys in a meeting, you know, when there's 48 women and you're like, Oh, these two dudes showed up. There might be that because of society and the way everything's been for so long, there might be this, this kind of governor on their mm. expressions to kind of like hold them back. Cause Oh, there's two dudes in the thing. But, a lot of times they just let it rip, man. And, and, and I love it. I, and by the way, women are a lot funnier than men. My <laughs> good God. There are things I heard that I was like, wow. <laughs> I mean, look, you got your Jamie Foxes, you got your Kevin Hart, you got your, yeah, you, know, you got your, uh, um, you know, the others that are really funny guys, you know, Ray Romanos and other people, Bill Burr. It's, but it's, it's crazy.
1: It's funny you say that because I, I I immediately just thought of one or two rooms where I was and and I, you know, and, and women had me kind of laughing pretty darn hard in, the, in those rooms. And I was like, whoa, that's a, that's a, that's a humor that I I, I didn't see coming. It was it, it's, right.
0: And there's one thing, you know, one thing that I, I have said in those rooms that that I, I was told was important, but I, I just, it was an idea I had and I, an observation I had over the years is like you and I could be working on a project together and or want to come together on a project. And we may have a disagreement, maybe get a little pissed at each other, whatever, hash it out, right. slap each other on the shoulder and go have a beer. Women don't forget. And they will claw and scratch mm. women down who are making it. And I, I don't know why that is, but they, they a lot of them do that. And I've rarely seen, and I've been in a lot of meetings over the years of whatever kind of stuff, and I've rarely seen where like two women get pissed and whatever over something. And they just go, they settle it and they go have a drink. I, I rarely see that. My takeaway is I said to them once, I said, you know, one thing that every man knows and won't tell you. And they're like, what? I'm like, do you know one thing every man knows about women won't tell you. And then they're like, what? And I'm like, you're better than us. But if you would just quit catfighting and scratching each other and doing stupid shitty little things to each other, we'll give you the keys and you'll 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 rule the world, man.
1: Yeah. Cuz you well are.
0: Said. You well are. Said. Like just stop whatever that is, you know, and just get over yourself. And and that goes back to being fear-driven. And look, I'm not saying guys are perfect because we do some stupid shit oh, too.
1: But but right? it's so funny you say that because I still look at myself like I don't feel like I've matured since like, I say it tongue in cheek, but I don't feel like I'm any smarter than when I was doing cake stands in college at 21 years old. I'm not doing cake stands now, but I, I'm like, I'm just still a kid, man. I'm just still this kid that's trying to do new stuff and always trying to create and and like, do I, have, have I ever matured? I think you bring up right. a great point. It's
0: like, you know, yeah. women, they mature. <laughs> how, how have you handled your career? I mean, how have you, you know, you, you're not in Hollywood anymore. No. And, you know, you've got a, a beautiful son that I see on occasion mm-hmm. on your feeds once in a while. You know, we all have to put like, you know, when I left Access, you got to still have to put bread on the table, but you still got to believe in your craft. And, you know, and I, I would tend to say, I mean, look, are, there's are probably like 12 or maybe 14 jobs in the world that, that of what I did at that level. Right. Because you have Access, ET.
1: Oh, yeah. Extra. You're,
0: you're maybe. You're at the top. Yeah, yeah, maybe some goofy ones in Europe that weren't that good. Those kinds of shows, um, but a lot of people trying. Same thing with music, right? There are a lot of people trying, and you've done such a great job. But how have you managed to navigate that?
1: Well, thanks for asking that question. And uh, I would say, I would say I haven't always successfully managed it. And I'll and I'll give you an example of of in the realm of the conversation we've had. I probably went five or six years of a total writer's block. Um, Mm. you know, kind of, kind kind of throwing my arms up and say, this is just, I'm, I'm just stupid. I'm a, I'm a kid from a town of 600 people from South Dakota that thinks he can play piano. It doesn't make any sense at all. And there's no business plan. I mean, I have my MBA from USD. There's no business plan on this. It's, it's almost stupidity. And, and I let that get into me. And after I left access Hollywood and I was I was working my way up there. I was I was working hard. I I, I came in on the weekends. I, I I didn't get paid anything, you know. But I was learning from people like you. I was learning from these successful people that I was around. But in that too, Tony, I think two things happened. One, I kind of lost myself. I lost myself, mm-hmm. and but and I had to take a step back and say, what what were my goals originally when I was a kid writing music? My goal was to perform around the world. That's what I want to do. That's what I'm trying to do. And, and I also love podcast. I love, I have these goals, but one, I think I made the misperception that if I know somebody, I'm going to make it because they're going to just automatically do something for me. And I had to learn that at 22, 23, working at access Hollywood, that that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. I, I was blinded of, that, that's why I hate the saying sometimes it's who, you know, yes, yes. Who, you know, is important. And I get that, but I'm, I'm probably a little black sheep in this. I think even most importantly, it's knowing yourself and then understanding that that person usually has something that they want too. And if I, as a, again, as a young kid, not knowing <laughs> anything, just total green behind the ears, pestering people like you pestering people like i think i went into rob silverstein's office once and asked something and i was like that was the last time i did that but um <laughs> I, anyway and i love rob i got him his tall half calf yeah. cinnamon latte every morning like i i, I love I, I love so many people that i work with mm-hmm. but what i did not understand was that who 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 am I to think that someone's going to just help me out of the blue when they've worked their ass off to get to where they are and they have goals Mm -hmm. and they have dreams. How am I helping them? And I, I I didn't even have that purview in my twenties. I was just like, nope. I'm I, cause I literally did. I literally packed in my car and I literally moved to Hollywood. I didn't, I saved up all my money to have two months of rent. We didn't, I was an intern at access Hollywood. We didn't get paid.
0: Hmm. Yep, back then but you didn't get paid.
1: Didn't get paid as an intern. But I was the one in the tape room degousing those tapes, doing whatever I did, I said yes to everything yep. and a lot of what you've talked about that you've done in your life um and I know now I'm rambling off here and this is your interview my, not mine no, so I hope I'm not I'm, I hope I'm not buddy. bothering
0: you here. No, it's a conversation. But,
1: but I I I realized that I can't just say, yep. I, cause I did, I did know, I did know you, I did know getting to know some minor celebrities, getting to know people that were decision makers, Mm -hmm. but what was I offering? I didn't even know what I was offering. And I had to go through this hard, like reality that Matt, you got to figure yourself out. You got to get some projects in motion. You got to take the action. So when I moved back to the Midwest, and I'm in Omaha, Nebraska now, and I, and I love it. I love Omaha, but I can travel anywhere from here. It's very, it's, it's right in the middle of the United States. Yep. But it's funny, Tony, because me taking myself out of that environment, but still fostering these friendships like yourself, and still in touch with everybody, I was able to spur my creativity for years. I've I've gone in my peaks and valleys, but I was also able to manage my cost of living because. You know, for years and years and years, you don't make anything like you said. I mean, yep. It's a very parallel path that you've done. Now I haven't reached the success that you have, but all these stories that you talk about in, in in your question of how have I done this with my career, it has been failing time and time again, But also, but also not losing that hope of, hmm. fuck it, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I may never, but you know what? I'm talking with Tony Potts right now. I'm talking that, that, that's just not the universe. You know, that's, that's, that's didn't happen by chance. It was because that that was an opportunity. And that, that, that happened over 20 years of building relationships. And that's my other long winded point. And then I'll stop talking because I love chatting away is this is a long term game. Which is another yep. reason when I when I look at you and I look at you've done thirteen seasons with Access Hollywood and 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 you've reinvented yourself as global media strategist, you've never stopped growing, you've never stopped like reinventing yourself.
0: Well, and, and it, you're right, and, and I and and what you everything you said is is people should really listen to because that's the path a lot of us go on, no matter even if you're an overnight success, there's going to come a point in time when you have to reinvent yourself because it's, we're such a consumable society that, you know, you'll be done in your cycles about two years sometimes when you, when you hit it really early. Right. And then you do, like I had to reinvent myself out of necessity. I mean, yeah, I'm insanely curious. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I was looking at the, you know, venture capital world and, seeing that they were wrong 80% of the time and, and, and they still got paid. Like if you're wrong 80% of the time in any other thing, you're fired, but they are. And they're like, they're walking around like they're cock of the walks. And I was like, how does this work? This has got to be something here. And that's, but you, you know, just I went in- up
1: a really good point there too, is that you had to reinvest, reinvent yourself after 13 years of a successful career. Like people yeah. never talk about that too. Like, I would almost argue that that's probably even harder because you might be looking at the clock of time with that pressure and think like, Oh shit, what the hell am I going to do now? And how did, how did you, how did you navigate that point when you were like, Whoa, this is, this is changing.
0: Well, here's the thing. It's a good, really good question. And we can go on for another hour and we can't do that. We both got to go here here shortly, but it's a great question because I'm still doing that. I was it was a fairly hot property for a while, like uh, coming out the end of cold stuff. You know, Access came to me out of nowhere and redid my contract, gave me a long-term deal, all kinds of stuff. You know, it just doesn't happen, right? And then a little later, what year was this? But um, I got a call one day from my agent like, hey, can you meet with E? And I'm like, sure. What for? Eh, they won't tell me, but they, would, they really want to talk to you. I'm like, Okay. So I met with them and all the execs, and uh, it was weird because like halfway through, I'm thinking, because they were being really kind of couching everything. And in my head, I'm like, why the, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, why am I here? Like, what are they? What's, what's you know, so I said to him, I said, why am I here? <laughs> why am I here? So they started talking about some stuff. And I would say there was probably a pretty good deal to come out of that. But I, still, I just had my deal at Access. And then I, I could have gone back to it when I left Access. And I didn't. And I probably should have. Because what happened at the time, while well, I had options, there was this change coming. YouTube was now becoming very big. Social mm-hmm. media was starting to become big. And so now networks, and we came out of 2008, 2009, economic downturn as well. So still reeling from that the networks had cut back a lot and they were never going to give that back later on. And so they were going to look, Oh, your staff works, you know, cutting it by 25%. Uh, it's going to still work today. Like, why would we at, you know? And so everything changed. And so suddenly people in my position and I'll speak about me specifically, was like, well, wait, do we want to pay him that much money when we can hire somebody who's got a little bit of a following on YouTube or, you know, let's experiment. We can make five mistakes, you know, with their salary and still not be up to his. So that was really, that was an interesting, like, sea change that really hit. And I was sort of prepared for it, but not really. Um, I mean, had I taken the E-deal or what could have been the E-deal, I think it would have worked out for me. But, you know, I probably should have written a book by then, and I could have have lived on that going through, right? And then, you know... um, but it was hard, and, and you know, I had bought a foreclosure in the meantime in what became Silicon Beach before Silicon Beach, and that's how I got into like the entrepreneurial space because they were just all around me at the time. It was kind of burgeoning and percolating, and so I started realizing that what I did on a daily basis, which is basically distilling down a you know a huge uh, whether it's a tentpole movie, you know, or a TV show or my interview with you know a band like say U two or something, into eight seconds, five second teases. And all that stuff was actually a really what I thought was a very narrow skill set was actually a very huge skill set because mm. I was able to identify and keep you know millions of people tuned in based on an eight second tease I would do right
1: through to transferable skill sets,
0: yeah, to come back with for what basically they're just brands. So that's how I kind of got into you know the nascent stages, early stages of uh. Uh, what became Silicon beach is because it was like, well, I can identify your brand really easily and I can give you a, I can give you a tagline, you know? And so that really opened up my mind to that. And that's how I got into, you know, we we launched a venture capital fund and, and then I, you know, the other things I did around the world, but it, it was hard because, you know, and, and, and when you've done something for so long and you've been, you know, and, and you're fairly good at it, it's, and I like to try a lot of things, but, when you go to people, or you try to put yourself out there, it's like you said: like, who am I? Like, what am I now? Have I advanced? You know, what what do I have to offer? You know, I mean, look, I look. I mean, God forbid a fire starts across the street here. I could go live for three hours. I mean, i I'm, I'm never going to lose that skill set, but maybe the landscape has changed and I haven't changed. You know, like maybe there's now a three point line and I didn't. You know, I don't shoot three pointers. I should have. You know, so there's still a lot of that going on. And it's interesting as you get older, like now I feel that I am probably two to three times better than I was at access all those years, Mm. just because now I have all this other almost like satellites of knowledge that have gone out into space. And, you know, from the venture capital fund, I know about branding, I, you know, brands and how you start, I know about funding, I know what you need to do and, and that bit of knowledge helps, you know, on the film side or TV side. And then, you know, I've, I've, you know, built the uh, film company in Budapest and working with governments. And so I now know of a better picture of everything that I can bring to the table now, mm. in a sense of, of, of information, authority, and what have you. It's funny. I did a, um, I know we got to go One last thing. I remember we were doing a uh, interview with uh, Bono and the edge from you too. And I know that Bono, I'd done some stuff previously with him. He's he's a he loves history. He loves certain things, and so I wanted us to do this interview. They were they're about to go on tour, and I think they were like they were, yeah, they were rehearsing at the sports arena back in the day when the sports arena was still up, and um, and they were just pissed off and just because when you play in it, well, you know this better. I didn't know it, but when you when you rehearse a tour in an empty arena, it sounds like shit. Yeah, because people there's no people in there to mm-hmm. absorb the sound, so it's like mm-hmm. it just sounds horrible, and it's like, and the edge is a perfectionist, so he was just not fun to be with. I was saying, <laughs> so they wanted to get out of there and whatever, and so I did this interview, and I said, let's do it at the uh, Chateau Marmont, because and let's try to get the same suite that Jim Morrison had when he went up. I am the Lizard King, so and cool. so we did, and I said to them, I said, you know where we we are yeah, on the balcony? It was, it was, it was funny because I told my sister. 1983 or 82, I said, if I ever get to interview the boys from U2 in my journalism career, I will retire. So fast forward, we're on this wow. balcony, overlooking Sunset Boulevard. Sunset drops below. We're on this, you know, and in the distance, you know, is, is looking west. We're shooting west. And um, the fog's starting to roll in a little bit as it does, you know, in those kind of L.A. days. And yep. I tell Bono the story of like, you know where we are. He's like, no. I'm like, this is. So he he grab he had an Evian bottle, and he gets up on the ledge and goes, I am the lizard. Oh, it's Evian because I think Morrison. <laughs> uh, you know, meanwhile, yeah. um, the their manager puts his hand on my my shoulder. He leans in. and He goes, if he fucking goes over the edge, you're following him because I'm throwing you over there. <laughs> but but you know, it's it's just. Um, it's just those kinds of things, you know, where I just love, you know, situations and to meet people and, you know, and, and, and there are a lot of ways I probably could have capitalized on my access better um, than I did. And I think that, that harmed me a bit when I left access of not having a platform that I could, there's a couple of things I should have done, but you know, even having a book at that point, I could have, I could have written two books by that point. I could have written the one about Anna Nicole Smith and what I experienced and all that crazy shit, and then also just all the stories from my interactions with people, you know, I mean, I, I would never, you know, there, I've been in some situations with A-list stars where I'll, I'll never say what went on, yeah, because um, I respect their privacy, and, and right. I think they're trusting There's a trust
1: me. built there, for sure.
0: Yeah, but there's another other crazy shit that you know, I've got a ton out there that I think people would like to hear, because each one of the, each one of the interactions I, I would probably tell have a pretty good meaning in life. Right, You know, of like situations of, you know, like, you know, overcoming something or, or being shy or, you know, really being at the darkest point, but believing in yourself and, you know, that movie comes and, you know, or from Jim Carrey writing that he's, you know, he's wrote himself a million dollar check. I think that's, yeah. what, I think that's amazing. Remember way before he was, you know, and he got his million amazing. dollar check. So, so yeah. So,
1: well, Tony, that's I tell right, you man. what, I know I, I, uh, I want to ask one more question it yeah. is real quick what do you want to be remembered for
0: i would say insatiable curiosity that led me to lead my life with kindness and joy and that anything's possible because it's only impossible until it's not.
1: There's no better That's way it. to end this conversation. And I, I want to tell you, I love you. And I appreciate all of the mentorship you've done from afar, mm-hmm. um, just by your example. And this has been, uh, I've been looking forward to this for a long, long time. And, uh, This this was just a really special special moment that that you shared. So thank you so much for being
0: here. Well, thank you for that. And you know, don't discount your part in this, brother. You know, I I admire you and I admire your path. And I I'm blown away by your skills. You know, Um, you're composing and it's just magical. So it's a treat for me to be here as well. It's a treat for me to also you know watch your path. You know, you know I send you little stuff once in a while and I I, I, I love it. I love it. You're you're, amazing.
1: You'll uh, yeah yeah. There's something just um I get emotional thinking about it because those times in my life i took those chances and 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 met people like you and and it's just it's so great how the universe manifests which is a theme that you talked about
0: but Absolutely. Oh, okay. I think people watching this at this point are going to go like, okay, just fucking get married already. You too.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 For sure.
0: For <laughs> like sure. There's such a romance going on. Like, Absolutely. What? You guys,
1: geez, bring the cheese. You guys little, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> hey, that's just me being me, man. So
0: yeah, me too. All right, brother. So, love you. Thanks for this. It was enjoyable.
1: Tony, thanks so much. Best to you and your lovely wife and family.
0: Happy yeah, new you year. Too. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> happy new year. You too. See ya. <laughs> See ya, buddy.